since I can remember. I hate you, and I wish you both had cancer. Cancer? Yes, in the head. <laughs> Somebody's got a case of the Mondays. <laughs> Welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show. The voice of Young Adult Cancer, I'm your co-host, Matthew Zachary, a proud 18-year Young Adult survivor of brain cancer. My fabulous co-host, Andy Goodman, I'm not here tonight, so we'll be back next Monday. We are your hosts for the Stupid Cancer Show. And as always, it's not okay that 72,000 Young Adults are dying from cancer each and every year. Got cancer under 40 sucks, huh? Time to get physically, folks, because the stupid cancer show is changing the world one chemo infusion at a time. I'm Kenny Kane, co-founder of Stupid Cancer, welcoming all of our first-time and returning listeners here on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, iHeartRadio Talk, or listen to the archives on stupidcancershow.org. Tonight's show... A spotlight on Seattle Children's Hospital with special guests, young adult survivors Rose Ibarra, who is the PR specialist at the Seattle Children's Research Institute, Dr. Becky Johnson, who is the assistant professor of uh, hematology and oncology, medical director of the Young Adult Oncology Program, and patient Milton Wright III, Survivor Spotlight, Jeff Eaton, founder of Young Adult Cancer Canada. And I'm Maureen Sweet, Manager of Programs and Operations here at Stupid Cancer, and I will be live-tweeting throughout this broadcast at Chemodex, so send me your questions and feedback at any time using the hashtag SCRadio. All right. Good evening. Hello. Hello, everyone. And welcome. Yes, welcome to, to June. One more person in the studio. Well. And June the month. <laughs> But Welcome to June, our administrative assistant, <laughs> Mallory. Welcoming Mallory Rivera, our new full-time administrative assistant. She was part-time with us now. Starting her first full-time day of work and joining us for the show tonight. Yeah. Welcome. Uh, Very nice. Yes. How you doing? Fantastic. Just when we need another redhead. Word. Hey. <laughs> Upping the ginger quotient. Yes, exactly. Hey. So how was your first day? It was pretty good, pretty uh, successful. You call on time? Yes. Good. 
yes. The longer you work here, you Everyone's on time on Monday. Yeah, there's equal and opposite reaction to uh, business hours. Yeah. The longer you work here. Exactly. It's inversely proportional. Exactly. Wonderful. Well, welcome. It's really wonderful to have uh, number five, officially number five, after 12 years, yeah. we're at number five. Very impressive. We're a real boy. The number of years we've existed increases by one year every week. (laughs) We're only 11 years old last week. In 2003, I filed the the 501c3 paperwork. Oh, interesting. So it's uh, 11. 11 years. still not 12. (laughs) Yeah, you're right. Close. Coming up on 12. We're in our 12th seat. Matt Matt must have smelled my kombucha before the show (laughs) and is now drunk. Fantastic. Anyway, happy National Cancer Survivors Day, which was Observed. yesterday. Yes. <laughs> Post. We celebrated the day after. Yeah. We got all the sales. Yeah. <laughs> Very nice. And a couple of milestones uh, this week. Kenny is now a resident of Brooklyn again. Yes. Ever so closer to your commute. Yes. It went from 90 minutes each way, which for the people playing at home is three hours of my day. <laughs> I spent riding a train to sit next to Matt all day. What? And, and now... That was a mess, that bus, every day. No, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about my train. Oh, your roommate, Matt, not me, Matt. No, you. I'm talking about you. Yeah. The 90 minutes I spend... Three hours way of traveling. ...to sit in a room with you. Oh, to sit in the room with me. As opposed yeah. to the 90 minutes we spend on the bus... Right. ...back and forth with each other for God knows how long. Yes. And that was even even farther away from this date and time. Yes, very long time ago. Well, um, welcome... Crown Heights. Yes, thank you. Very nice. I'm excited to uh, be a contributing member of society. <laughs> Tax-paying citizen. Tax-paying yuppie. Something like that. Exactly. Wonderful. With all my craft beer and uh, coffee shops that aren't Starbucks. Are you can able to like, build your own distillery in your apartment? I guess I can now. Well, I can't open Bushwick Brews, <laughs> which I own the domains and nice. pseudo-intellectual property for. Good. good, good. I'll, I'll do uh, Crown Heights... Riot Beer Company. <laughs> That's not appropriate. No. Oh, my God. Not okay. And anyway, um, so I got back from ASCO. Hey. ASCO, the 50th. 50th annual. Annual ASCO, ASCO which is the American Society of Clinical Oncology. It is the lar- largest gathering in the world, 30,000-plus oncology professionals gathering at McCormick Place in Chicago for a week. Yeah. It's crazy. It is crazy. So 50 years, that makes ASCO exactly 10 years older than... Me. You. Wow. Look at that. That's right. <laughs> that is some math. So happy birthday. <laughs> I don't have the sound things, but birthday sounds and applause. Cute. You can play happy Cute. birthday, Lisa. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> okay. Well, happy, happy belated birthday yes. to our founder, CEO. I am 40. And I'm aged coach. out. But in theory, the loophole is now in effect, which mm-hmm. is that so long as you were diagnosed under 40, a young adult survivor forever shall you be. Yeah, I was really caught off guard by the fact that it was your birthday. I, I just had no preparation for it. No, considering I started talking about this when I was 39. Yeah, you didn't tell us your birthday was coming, Matt. <laughs> on the DL, totally on the DL. Showed year. up on my Facebook feed, and I'm like, what? How'd that happen? I was, was going to throw my fist through the computer to strangle you. <laughs> you posted one more time about your birthday. But thank you to the 280,000 people that liked my like liked my status update. Uh, Who knew oh. that when you were eight years old, what? <laughs> 32 years later, you'd have several hundred thousand people 
that are not really my friends liking no. it random Who, who could care less about you as a human being? <laughs> and approximately four friends. Slacktivists, yes. Yay. Maybe five. <laughs> Jeff Kemp. The, okay. the best is the comments in Spanish. Yeah. Something about Dios and... and Cumpleaños. Yeah. Cumpleaños. <laughs> There's one person who comments on every Facebook post, all caps, bless. Really? <laughs> yes. B-L-E-S-S. Nice. Maybe oh, that's I the, don't know who they are, but... Maybe that's their name. <laughs> they're trying to, they're they're trying to tag them. Their last name is you. Exactly. Anyway, ASCO was exciting. Yes. Because the theme this year, um, which I don't know, had nothing to do with what everyone was talking about, which was clinical trials and genetics, genomics, immunotherapy, um, uh, whole body screening and sequencing and big data and just like crazy highfalutin technology going on this year. Yeah. And a lot of the news coming out of ASCO are these new pipeline drugs that are doing these amazing, crazy military-style nanotechnology things in your body. Interesting. Yeah. Like they're able Sending to... Sending in little army men? It, it, it's really crazy stuff. Like you're able to now get down to the DNA level where there's, I think it's three trillion amino acids in one DNA strand. And they're able to identify like one amino acid out of the three trillion and figure out why it's messed up and then send in the drug that fixes that amino acid. And then it self-replicates out to your body and gets rid of all the other DNA with the bad amino acid, Hmm. which is right. But the coolest part... (laughs) Pretty cray, guys. It's just ridiculous. (laughs) Becky is going to hang up on a train. (laughs) Well, I have a really bad joke then. Why why don't millennials do math well? I don't even want to venture it yet. I gave you this joke. Because they can't even. They can't even. Oh, uh, yes. <laughs> That's true. I, so I stole Thank that from Maureen. Thank Sorry. you for stealing it from yes. me. That's, that was all my material, guys. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> but, it was, but it really, really was fascinating to see how they're able to have these medicines. And, and the, what I was going to say, the most exciting part about this is that we are moving, finally moving away from the body part-specific cancer treatment model. Mm-hmm. where this works for seven different types of diseases and this works for 14 types and it's not about breast cancer or prostate or brain, liver, lung, whatever it is. It's about your DNA and that's fascinating. Yeah. It was really, really, really Crazy, exciting. crazy stuff going on. Totally cool. Crazy times we're living. Oh, and not only did you not know it was my birthday, you did not know I'm going to London. We didn't. Do you have a God no queued up there? <laughs> I do not. You really? I, I'm not prepared tonight. All, all your music is, yeah. My so, God save the Queen. MZ, going to London. Well done. Trying to be like me. What's all this, Dad? And <laughs> oh, <God>. it starts. <laughs> and you can go to lomz.tumblr.com and join in on making fun of him. Hello, MZ. So what are you going for, Matt? I am attending my very first international meeting of the Teenage Cancer Trust in London. Interesting. Very exciting. The it very is- first one. No, my first. Oh, your first, not my first. My first. This is like their twentieth like or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but they've done this. The Teenage Cancer Trust predates any young adult activism in this country. Mm-hmm. And thanks to Roger Daltrey and uh, Peter Townsend. Thank you. I thought Frampton, but that's the other one. <laughs> <laughs> TCT has done a lot of amazing things. <laughs> Thank you, Genesis. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. No, 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 no. Okay. okay. Just because you don't have the queued up doesn't mean you need to sing it. I can't do um, anything right now. But anymore. yeah, no, it's it's great work they're doing out there, and uh, 
as not everybody knows, the ages are a little different internationally speaking. We yes. focus on 15 through 39, and they focus 26, on right? 13 to 24, 13 to 26 or so is their kind of like yeah. teen, young adult age. So it's a little bit different, but still addressing a lot of the same issues. Um, and very cool that we're able to send you over there as our ambassador. Yeah, Gary. Dr. Sandra Morche wants to show me off and embarrass me and embarrass them apparently too. Okay, well, and and there's something happening with uh, this app that we're doing. What? Just some, some, we're doing an some, app. Some progress. I had no idea. Oh, Instapeer. Yeah, oh. is going to be a real boy after Labor Day. For those of you unfamiliar with what we're working on, we are revolutionizing peer support, one-to-one peer matching for cancer patients, survivors, and caregivers of all ages. The anonymous SMS chat, and mm-hmm. it's called Instapeer. You can go to instapeer.org and watch our pitch video and contribute to our campaign and or just wait till September until we have it launched and potentially in your iPhone, Android coming 2015. Very exciting. So have finally signed a contract and physically going to hold something virtual in your hand. <laughs> hold something physically virtual. And anybody from another country that listens to the show is probably like, what the heck are they talking about? I thought about using it for ESL classes. Yeah. yeah, not good. That'd be the worst. But anyway, speaking of countries with queens. Okay. Um, uh, other ones? <laughs> or, or I would say former, what yeah. is <laughs> what is Chelsea? <laughs> no. Speaking of not countries that are not the United States, our first guest tonight is a really good friend of mine, uh, and he is here with us tonight. Jeff Eaton is the founder and executive director of Young Adult Cancer Canada. Yes, we have a country to the north of us. It is a national organization focused on helping young adults deal with cancer. He's been awarded a Hope Award and the Queen's Golden Jubilee Award for his work to inspire and support others after his own experience with cancer. Jeff not only is something like six foot seven and puts Canada to shame and a really great guy, uh, his inspiring story is shared with over 65,000 people across Canada each year. Uh, government, business, healthcare, student audiences. I am a huge fan of this guy, one of the first young adult advocate, founder people I ever met, inspired me to do great things. Please welcome to the show the one and only Jeff Eaton. Jeff. Nah. And I believe when I first met you, you were childless. So we both went through some transformational things. Yeah, that's right. A big life change. Yes. How are you doing? Been ages. I'm really great, man. How are you guys? I am great. You haven't met Kenny, Mallory, or Maureen, but they are virtually saying hello, my staff. Hello. Hello. Well, hello. We can physically say hello, too. Yes, I, I suppose so. I suppose <laughs> yeah, I look forward to seeing you guys face-to-face sometime. Well, you're gonna. We, we had you on the show tonight because I will be in Toronto this coming weekend to attend your annual conference. Correct? That's right. And have you shared nope. with them the special role you have? Yes, I'm. I'm the. I'm playing the role of Sage Bolte. Uh, I was gonna say idiot abroad. <laughs> <laughs> That's the first role. So like his test waters. Yes, but I'm playing the role of Sage Bolte, uh, and Katz, who's been on the show, um, mm-hmm. the sex therapist, amazing person. I'm on a panel with her playing the role. Actually, I'm not really, because technically Anne is Sage. I'm playing the role of Tamika. So, okay, so identify for the viewers at home who Sage and Tamika are yes. and what exactly you're doing. Yes, exactly. Sage Bolte is a PhD in licensed uh, cancer therapist, and she works at Hope, Hope. what's it called? I'm sorry, I'm blanking. Life with Life Cancer. Life with Cancer Nova. Nova. Right, right, Life with Cancer Nova. 
she is one of the um, most talented. What she calls herself like a sexologist, but she's really more of a life coach for mm-hmm. for uh, health management mm-hmm. and sexual health. Um, and Tamika Felder is the founder and CEO of Tamika and Friends, the cervical cancer survivor. And she is our go-to person for all things intimate and sexual. Yes. And so Ann Katz does a similar job working with sex therapy in Canada, our neighbor to the north. And you right. will be speaking about sex and cancer and all things that make cancer sexy. Yeah. <laughs> which is nothing. Yeah, Jeff, you're in for something. <laughs> you have no idea what you're asked for. That's okay. That's right. Not only that, Matt, you're actually, you know, representing all males by being on this panel. As you're the lone no male, pressure. you'll be essentially speaking for every male young adult cancer survivor and their sexual triumphs and challenges. So I hope you don't feel any extra weight there, that, knowing that. That's not me. I'm not a survivor. <laughs> that is not me. And you have no triumphs. Huh? <laughs> all right. So let's let's start at the beginning, Jeff. Uh, how did you get into this mess? Tell us your story. I'm always inspired by it. And um, at what age did you shave your head? I finished university at the age of 22, moved out of my house, started my own little business, taking over the world, pushing the boundaries everywhere I could find them, really doing all those things that we do at that stage in our early 20s, and really, truly having the best time of my life. I was in a happy place, we'll say. And then uh, just a week before I turned 23, passed out of reception, diagnosed with acute myeloid leukemia. Whole world changed for sure, um, you know, not the least of which was giving up my independence and, and a whole bunch of other things. And uh, bone marrow transplants, a month in ICU on life support, um, and a year and a half later, I had kind of come through this thing at some level and just really felt like I had to had to do something different with my life. And I will also say, um, you know, really it was a big uh, starting yak was a really kind of at some level a way for me to deal with the fear that I was, you know, most likely at that time I thought going to die a lot earlier than I expected to. So I was trying to create something that would be around after I was. And and, and that, that core motivation is still there for sure very much. I was trying to build an organization that is great and will be around for the long haul. I would say that the further out I am from my my second, I had a recurrence a couple of years later after my first transplant, but um, I don't even, I lose I lose track of the math every now and then, so that's a good sign. But I think I'm that is a good sign. three, uh, almost 13 years out of my second transplant. This October I'll be 13 years out. <clears throat> so you know, I, I uh, the longer out I am, the, certainly the more confident I am in my health and. But I, uh, the core motivation to build a great organization that's around to help young adults long after I'm around is still very much a core part of what we're about. It's a core part of our strategic plan. It's, it's still very much there. But I, I will say it, it certainly was founded in uh, my experience um, that I know you know. It's just the, the unique stuff I had to deal with as, as a, dealing with cancer as a young adult. And um, that is essentially our core mission. Of it. Like we would not exist if cancer wasn't different for young adults, right? We always say it's not more difficult. It's a, it's a big time challenge no matter when it comes. But uh, it's a really unique set of challenges that we face due to our stage of life. So uh, because that is truth, uh, we feel that young adults deserve customized programs. So that's what we're all about. So you were really one of the pioneers. I remember when I was first made aware that there was a universe of charities. It took me five or six years after 1995 to be uh, 
brought about that, that there were organizations that were founded uh, even as early as 1996 or 97, which was like the Ullman Fund and Live Strong and the Young Survivor Coalition. And you were right there with the year. I think Planet Cancer was also launched in 2000. And back then it was called Real Time Cancer, which just really kind of, well, we didn't know to use the word young adult, right? There was no uh, precedent set that you should predicate the, your, your mission value and, and, and its differential on that were young adult. It just was real-time cancer. Um, but I really commend you for having the balls to think about starting a charity. As, as I know firsthand, and you know too, it's no small feat. How did you first get started in building momentum? I, uh, you know, I, I think the the best strategy is when you combine your strengths with your opportunities. So at the age of 24, with you know, uh, you know, fragile health and and not a lot of energy, uh, certainly not the way I had at the previous prior to cancer. Um, I just had this desire to, to go for it and, and create something. It is, you know, that part of me is certainly environmentally, genetically nurtured. But uh, outside of just creating something, I, you know, I felt, you know, how do I get this thing going? And uh, without question, the I felt and still do, the, the biggest thing I had going for me was the story. Um, and at that time, to start, it was my story. So... Um, that's how I built momentum was I was always, I mean, really right from the first week I was in hospital, I started an email group, which was a blog before there were blogs in 1998, um, keeping people up to date on what was going on and then transitioned that out into the public when I started what you're right. It was originally called Real-Time Cancer. So I started to go out into schools and to healthcare audiences and engage them with my story and that is what built momentum. Like you know, any I think you know the human condition is really often engaged by openness and honesty, especially when people are experiencing or have experienced struggle. And uh, so that that was the core principle that we kind of got going with was uh, using my story to emotionally engage other people. And initially, that was heavily focused on high schools and university students. And and they responded, man, in, a, in like a crazy big way, and, and they still do. Um, I would say that after probably three to four years, we were very specific in how we uh, shifted our strategy. And it, one of the three things that we shifted was it had to move from just my story to be, you know, the young adult story. So we diversified stories, and, and that was, you know, the first initiative that we did with that was a, a web portal, so we could, you know, have, you know, dozens of other young adult survivors tell their stories, and then it, it evolved from there. We we started retreats and survivor conferences, like what you were doing uh, this week. I was going to say next week, God, again, it's a couple of days away. So you know that, that we started to diversify that way, but but it really kind of all started with this idea of emotionally engaging people with story. And uh, and, I, and I did that from the beginning, and um, the results have been powerful. I mean, not everybody loves what I am doing and have done, uh, and that wasn't my goal, right? You're, you're never going to please 100% of the people 100% of the time. But uh, the response has always been really, you know, general, uh, overall, really positive and powerful. And that includes, you know, that's from the community in general, from the health professionals, and the survivors themselves. So we've kind of taken so, that same mantra and keep carrying it forward, basically. You know, and I've been really impressed watching the growth that you've had over the last, believe it or not, 14 years. You 
think that far back in our lives. The question I always get um, when we meet folks from our neighbor up north is all about insurance. And, and I've heard random things from like, oh, they got it easy up there, and what do they need from us and whatnot. But I, I, if you could shed some light on the reality of your healthcare system as it applies to young adults, because it, it's not perfect anywhere in the world, but how is it different, better, worse, and what, are you, what, what, what can you speak to that will get a better understanding about how young adults with cancer navigate in Canada? Yeah, it's a, I mean, we could. I'd love to spend a long time on that. We could do a whole series of shows, really. We, without question, I think we have some considerable advantages. Um, you know, we don't have to take out our visa card to, you know, to get a scan for a diagnosis or um, get the next round of treatment for the most part, right? So you got to put an asterisk on that, for the most part. Um, it, it's it, depending on where you are in the country, um, all of your treatment is covered. Um, sometimes it's not. Um, depending on where you are in the country, sometimes we get access to the latest, greatest, amazing therapies that you were talking about a few minutes ago. Uh, sometimes they're readily accessible. Sometimes you got to wait uh, months, years to, to access those. Um, so there's pros and cons without question. And, and a big part of, I think, what needs to continue to happen in our system and yours is uh, the advocates got to keep pushing us. I mean, if, if nobody pushes the system, it doesn't get better, in my view. Uh, and that's one of the things I think health in, in Canada has really benefited from is there's, there's you know, 250-plus cancer charities uh, in Canada alone, just, just with the word cancer in their title. And, uh, you know, and they're engaged in varying ways in advocacy and pushing the system. The young adult issue is unique in Canada because... Um, because we have social programs that are really, you know, well-funded and robust, um, people often assume that things are taken care of. But in Canada, we've really funded social programs in two groups. Um, one is the kids, and the second is everybody else. So, you know, not unlike most places in the U.S., I would guess, uh, if you're a teenager, late late teens or early 20s, 20s, 30s, um, you're fitting into a system that's made for kids that are much younger or adults that are much older. Uh, so the reality is the isolation that you guys feel in the U.S., uh, the Canadians feel it as much or more. Um, we have you know, a network of health professionals across the country. We keep track on things like local support groups, like what's going on on the local level, right? So if you're in Toronto or in Newfoundland where I am or in the West Coast in British Columbia – you know, there's hardly anything available on the local level, level for young adults. Very, very few other programs that are doing anything significant at all for this population. And that's on the supportive care side, you know. So <clears throat> the other side, you'll, you'll see the same kind of gaps, uh, you know, next to no research focus in, in Canada. Um, one, uh, you know, can slowly building, I think, program in Montreal. There's one starting in Toronto. But, but these things are not um, – there's, no, there's no massive amount of government funding uh, there is no picture of, uh, you know, perfection up here in Canada that all everybody gets what they want and what they need uh, at the at the time they need it. Uh, it. It doesn't work like that up here. Um, so, you know, I wouldn't trade our system for lots of others, but but that doesn't mean there's not lots of room for improvement, and there really is. So, uh, we continue, uh, we will, and, and to advocate just you know for young adults, but also for patients in general, right? Because a lot of the things that young adults want, other patients want. Timely access to drugs, for example, that's, that's not a young adult issue. That's a universal cancer patient issue. Yeah, that's a civil rights problem that sort of permeates the entire system, no matter where you are. 
And uh, yeah. So we, we we have a maybe two minutes left, but why don't we uh, follow up? And we, I want to do let's do a dedicated show with you guys next season. I'll make sure that happens. Um, but uh, why don't you tell us more about this specific Survivor Conference coming up this weekend? And if there's still room, people can register or come out um, for it. The uh, website is youngadultcancer.ca, and just click on um, our programs, and it's the Survivor Conference. So what, what's going on this weekend for folks? So the Survivor Conference for us came to – the idea came from our first retreat. And literally, like, after the first opening night of our retreat in 2005 was the first one we did, it became immediately clear to me that I had to find a way to get these people back together. Like, it was such a powerful opening night. I'll never forget that first retreat. And then uh, that kind of was the seed that created what we called, you know, the, the reunion of the alumni retreat, and that that became our survivor conference the year after. And it was a way for us to get, you know, people in our network together and then bring in new people. And it was really about us trying to focus on the next phase of cancer. So, you know, the, the at some level, the post-treatment, it doesn't mean you have to be post-treatment to come, but... We're really trying to help people, give them tools, uh, you know, ideas, network, so survivors and other network, to help them deal with the rest of their life. The, the, the you know, the when people, when oftentimes people think it's over, right? The, the post-treatment phase, um, and and the rest of your life, and we're, that's the focus of the program. We have uh, close to 100 survivors coming. We are way over capacity. Uh, it is the situation, fortunately and unfortunately, at the same time. Where we it's we're way over oversubscribed for our capacity. We still do take the pro the approach that we you know we we take care of people and it's it's not your normal conference. It's it's still very much about community and connection. And uh, we start on Thursday and you kind of you gotta you kind of gotta commit to come for the whole thing if you're if you're gonna commit and and we only have so many spots that are really based on our budget and our ability to provide those spots. So. That's the the approach, and right now it's full, and you know we'd love to hear from survivors, but unfortunately there's there's a considerable wait list right now to get in for this week, but we've got three more retreats this year, so you know registration's opening for those over the next week and day and month, and uh, so people can dial in, and and we're really all about just continuing to build this network that we have across the country because that is the biggest resource we have, you know the wisdom and experiences of those survivors is the biggest asset that we've got. So we want to continually, obviously, connect with more new survivors so they can tap into that wisdom and experience and uh, and get themselves out of isolation and really connected to peers who get it. Jeff Eden is the founder and executive director of Young Adult Cancer Canada online at youngadultcancer.ca. They're hosting their annual survivor, one of their many, many conferences, the Survivor Conference, this coming weekend in Toronto. I will be there. I look forward to seeing the crowd. Jeff, thank you so much for joining us. We'll get you back on the show next season. Thanks for having me, guys. I look forward to seeing you, Matt, and you, uh, see you guys soon. Take care. All right, bye. bye. Jeff Eaton. All righty. Hello, I'm Kent Brockman, and this is I on Cancer. Just the facts, ma'am. Head on over to events.stupidcancer.org. That is events.stupidcancer.org, your one-stop shop calendar for all of our social and educational events nationwide. Something could be happening in your neck of the woods, and we certainly don't want you missing out. We have some meetups happening in Anchorage, Alaska, New York, New York, Jacksonville, Florida, Novi, Michigan, Raleigh, North Carolina, Denver, Colorado, Rockville, Maryland, Chicago, Illinois, with Matthew Zachary, and Houston, Texas. Very nice. 
As mentioned at the top of the show, please visit our mobile app in development called Instapeer, instapeer.org. Learn more about our groundbreaking peer support coming to a cell phone near you this fall. Watch our pitch video and see how we are truly going to revolutionize cancer support forever with an anonymous peer matching platform that has never been done before, instapeer.org. It's always a good time to stock up on your stupid cancer gear. We've got all new products and styles to choose from. Stay nice and cool through summer in a stupid cancer tee. We've also got our brand new skateboards, and now you can give cancer the actual bird with Flip the Cancer Bird, our latest plushie mascot. Check out stupidcancerstore.org. Be proud. Wear stupid cancer. And that is your stupid, stupid cancer news. Okay, now we are going to be doing the rest of the show all about one of my favorite cancer centers, Seattle Children. I will introduce our three guests. Milton Wright. Nine months ago, 20-year-old Milton was diagnosed with ALL for the third time in his young life. Conventional treatment options could not save him, so he joined a clinical trial and was treated with immunotherapy and reprogramming of his own blood cells. Today he's cancer-free. Joining Milton will be Dr. Becky Johnson, one of my BFFs here in the cancer world. Becky Johnson is a survivor of young adult cancer, medical director of the Adolescent and Young Adult Program at Seattle Children's Hospital. And joining her is Rose Ibarra. Rose Ibarra also diagnosed with stage 4 non-Hodgkin's lymphoma three years ago when she was just 25 years old. After two and a half years of chemo, she's cancer-free and has dedicated her life to supporting other young adults fighting cancer through developing the nonprofit Thrive Through Cancer and, of course, as a PR specialist at Seattle Children's Hospital. Please welcome to the show, Rose Ibarra. Becky Johnson, Milton Wright. Hello. Hi, Hello. thank you so much for having us. You know, this is very exciting stuff. You guys have been on my radar for quite a while now. I, I, anytime something really cool and innovative happens, it's usually you guys. And I don't know why that is. You're probably just generically awesome. But I, I just wanted to get a whole show all about the amazing things that you're doing out there, specifically around young adults, because it seems to me there's only pioneering things going on, and you're shaming everyone else, which is, I guess, a good thing. So why don't we start <laughs> well, with? thank you. Why don't we start with Rose, because you do the PR there. Um, there you go. And the fact that you're all young adult survivors, and that you're working on young adult survivorship, and you're at a major academic center. This is a real confluence that doesn't happen very often. Yeah, you know, and and Matthew, I know that you know personally, you know. Sometimes cancer kind of changes your career path, um, and it really did for me. Um, when I was diagnosed a few years ago, I was working in news also, but um, on the reporting side, and um, obviously learned firsthand after I was diagnosed that going through treatment as a young adult forces you to deal with this enormous challenge at an already challenging time. Um, and I really quickly learned the importance of age-appropriate medical care. Um, I actually started my cancer journey at a community hospital, and it was a wonderful place, but they had very little experience do- dealing with young adult cases, and I had some unnecessary pain procedure, unnecessarily painful procedure, excuse me, um, and was misinformed on a lot of things. Um, but thankfully, I was referred to the Seattle Cancer Care Alliance, and then experienced how amazing it is when you get age-appropriate care. So as I was recovering and I was kind of getting back to my career and getting back to life, I heard that Seattle Children's was opening this unit just for young adults with cancer, and I thought. I need to see this place immediately. <laughs> um, and as soon as I saw it, I was blown away. It was everything I'd hoped it would be and so much more. And 
six months ago, I was thrilled to join the PR team, and, and thankfully now I get paid to write stories about this amazing unit and about the amazing research and clinical work that Seattle Children's does for the teen and young adult population. Amazing stuff. Really, like, who better to helm this, right? It's really just, <laughs> just extraordinary. So let's hop over to uh, to Becky, who I've known for forever and ever and ever. Becky is a rock star oncologist, young adult survivor, a very unique niche club to belong to, I guess. But uh, why don't you talk, were you also like in the news and you said, hey, I got cancer, I'm going to be an oncologist? You know, I was a second year um, internal medicine pediatrics resident when I was diagnosed. I was 27 um, when I was diagnosed with breast cancer. And at that time, I had no thought of being an oncologist. Um, But after going through my treatment and after uh, spending a few years doing genetics, which was kind of my first love, I realized that my skill set lay in just being with people who were going through these hard times and trying to help in any way I could. And at that point, I did a second fellowship um, in pediatric oncology, never actually even thinking about adolescent and young adult oncology because it really didn't exist as a discipline yet. Um, But when I was recruited up here to Seattle Children's, they noticed I had done both internal medicine and pediatrics, and they said, hey, you know, we're looking to develop an AYA program, and uh, would you be interested in that? And I said, oh, absolutely, that's that's perfect. Um, and at that time, there were really only a couple of programs in the country offering any types of service for AYA cancer patients, and now that has just been blown out of the water. You know, you can't even count the number of programs anymore in the United States that are uh, developing AYA services, and it's uh, it's been fun to be part of that wave. And this is a good segue to Milton because, yes, you're right, there are lots of, you know, young adult cancer clinics are the new, the new hotness now. We want to brag to have one. But there really are no standards across the board as to what that means and how this implements. And you guys are really done a great job in in demonstrating best practices and how this could pragmatically transfer over to other cancer centers. I want to go to Milton because I'd love to hear not just your story of getting diagnosed with ALL for the third time, which is never a good thing, but how you feel you've been treated in this process as not being, you know, 85 years old, per se. Hello, Milton. Mm, Hello. Um, Yeah, uh... I mean, Children's is a great place, and I've been here since I was eight, and I'm 20 now, so uh, really I'm just comfortable with anything Children is doing, whether it be um, its studies or just anything they, they're they looking to get out there to help people. I'm always willing to do with, without a second thought. Did you, so you were eight when you originally diagnosed, so clearly you were with your parents the entire time. Are you, you're, you're now... An adult, or I guess one might argue 20 could be an adult, right? Um, And uh, you're, are you living by yourself? Do you have a career? Are you constantly um, going back and forth? How how is your life these days now? Um, uh, uh, pretty confusing. Every time I am on a path to start something, something comes up, whether it be my heart or a relapse. Every time I've tried starting something, there's always something that stops me from doing that. So then let's go back to Becky then. I mean, clearly Milton is an amazing example of a young adult who's a long-term pediatric survivor that's in this transition phase trying to get busy living and trying to build on um, 
from what he's been dealing with, how do you, as an oncologist, an oncology team, address his unique needs? Well, I think just recognizing that the needs of adolescents and young adults are, are really distinct from any other population is the first step. And to try to create a space where we can focus on that instead of having that age group be kind of a you know side population um, not the one that we're primarily focusing on and and so we've um, both with our inpatient unit and and also with the services that we've developed tried to make teens and young adults feel at home and answer the the questions that come up at their diagnosis and during their therapy and and then importantly get them in contact with other people just like them which the majority of people in our initial studies indicated that they wanted and seems to be a a huge success um when it occurs so, so the Sorry, can you talk us through, Milton, your experience going from pediatrics to the young adult clinic and what that has been like for you? Um, a big roller coaster. Um, like one of the things I said, every time I start something, um, a recurrence of the leukemia comes back or or just um, other things from from the chemotherapy. Um, when I was eight, I was actually living in uh, uh, in uh, Arizona, and um, I had I went to a number of different hospitals and uh, had different tests at each of them, and um, they actually ruled out the possibility of me having cancer. And so um, from um, from all that, my grandpa got a hold of us and and uh, told us about Children's Hospital. So my grandpa flew us out here when I was eight, and um, Children's Hospital diagnosed me within 24 hours of uh, of me being up here, and. Um, and so that was a three and a half year um uh chemotherapy um and then the second time I got it i was uh fifty i was actually fourteen two week, two weeks away from my fifteenth birthday um in school playing football and that whole off season i um I was really working hard to to be better at football so I was doing that and um and turned out I they well at first they initially thought I had um I had a uh, what is that called Achilles uh, tendonitis so for three months that was that was what they thought I had and um after three months they were like it, it shouldn't be hurting that much for that long and so they they wanted to do some testing and to found out um that I will, again had ALL leukemia. And so I went through intense chemotherapy, which was for two years. And the first year I was um, in the hospital for a week and then out for two weeks and then in for a week, and that went on for a whole year. And the next year after that, it was just um, appointments every two weeks going in for just, um, you know, about a 10-minute session of chemotherapy. Um, And after that was done, I was back into school and... um, when I was close to um, to graduating from high school, um, I was playing with my college football team, um, or I'm sorry, I was practicing with them, and um, and I found out I had cardiomyopathy from the second re- or from the first relapse, and uh, so from that that stopped from what I was going to do, which was um, I was joining the military, the Marines to be exact, and. Um, and um, I wanted to play football in college as well. 
And so from the um, initial first, uh, sec, uh, first relapse, um, there's a medication that they told us about that we actually had to sign and waiver it, saying that, um, yes, I understand the terms of the conditions that, that I may get a heart condition from it. And, um, and I was one of those people that did. Um, and then about five years after that, um, after that, after the first, second, or first relapse, I relapsed again um, after I turned 20. And um, this, I would have to say this, uh, this chemotherapy has been the easiest one out of all of them, just for the fact that it was only six months long, and it was only two rounds of chemo, and then I got my stem cells back, and I had a little bit of trouble with the stem cells at first. Um, they were thinking about canceling it, but... Um, um, uh, they they wanted to wait for a couple of days to see how my body would react to it, and uh, I saw those couple of days my body turned around and it accepted it, and um, I went on with the treatment and um, alive now. After that, I had my bone marrow transplant, but that's a whole other thing. I don't know if you guys want to go into detail with that. Well, I'd like I'd like to take this as an opportunity to dive into this conversation about immunotherapy and clinical trials and. And uh, Becky, you know this, I'm sure that uh, Rose, you know this as well. Trial enrollment in, in uh, young adults is very low compared to pediatrics. And how do you guys navigate the tricky waters of the you know aging out of peds into young adulthood with respect to trials? Well, one thing that we do is to have collaborations with adult medical oncologists at the Seattle Cancer Care Alliance and um, for diagnoses, um, that primarily affect adults. Uh, there may be more clinical trials in the adult realm than actually in pediatrics. And so particularly for young adults over the age of 18, it's very important that the oncologists um, check around um, both within the realm of pediatric oncology and also in adult medical oncology and figure out what there is open uh, that the patient might be eligible for uh, in terms of clinical trials and, and uh, make the decision based on analysis of, of what's available in uh, both areas, adult and yeah, pediatrics. I, I mentioned I just got back from ASCO, and trials are all the rage now around immunotherapy completely individualized medicine, genetics, genomics, like it's not about, you know, throwing you at a giant tar pit anymore. It's about, you know, injecting these tiny things that address one specific thing in a specific person. And I assume you guys are all completely up on that technology. We have some amazing things going on. Yeah, some some yeah. really innovative studies, and, and uh, Milton is the proud beneficiary of one of those. Yeah, it's been really exciting. Um, it's a really exciting time to be working with Seattle Children's. And, you know, somebody said the other day um, at a conference I was at, this is the best time ever to have cancer. <laughs> That's kind of a funny way to put it. But, you know, it's yeah. an exciting time to have cancer, and especially for our patients here. Um, I think for all of us who have gotten involved in the um you know, the cancer community and specifically the young adult cancer community, the hard part is, unfortunately, we, we lose a lot of people. You know, you make these friends that, unfortunately, not everybody makes it. And so, you know, after losing some friends who ran out of treatment options, to be able to come here and see someone like Milton, who, you know, third time with ALL, um, and I myself have um, acute lymphoblastic lymphoma, not exactly the same, but um, to see someone like him get this treatment that was so much less harmful 
And to see how amazingly well he's doing is so inspiring and so hopeful. And it's um, it's really wonderful to be at a place where patients that might not otherwise have any options at all are are surviving and, and doing well and having this be, for Milton to say, this is his easiest round of treatment the third time is, I think, pretty amazing. Yeah, definitely. So let's, I, I have to ask the question because this always comes up. Uh, who was in charge of the Kelly Clarkson viral video that you guys did two years ago? <laughs> that was, oh, you go ahead, Becky. <laughs> well, so um, we... Um, a couple of years prior to that, had engaged the services of a uh, filmmaker, Mike Addy, who helped us make some really nice uh, videos because we had noticed that there was uh, not very much in the way of videos that featured um, teen and younger young adult cancer patients online at that time. There were some ones with young adults that were kind of long and, you know, boring, we we thought. And so we, we wanted to um, particularly um, make videos on fertility preservation to aid decision-making um, prior to the start of therapy for our teens and young adults, and, and also to make some topical videos to um, th- be searchable online um, so that people could, could say, well, what's it like to lose my hair, or what's it like to deal with friends when you're going through cancer, so that those would be available not just to our own patients here, but really to patients everywhere in the English-speaking world that were going through the same issues. And so anyway, uh, Mike Addy, the videographer, had um, been instrumental in in making those videos and then had actually come on staff as well uh, here at Seattle Children's. And um, in addition, we had um, gotten a Livestrong grant to get an artist-in-residence who was doing a fantastic job of, uh, in a very... Uh, personalized way going around and seeing what projects uh, were important to patients and really what they wanted to create and helping them do exactly that, whether it be in photography, he's a professional photographer, uh, John Blaylock, um, as well as a, a nurse. This is our artist-in-residence, and uh, but he can also help with other um, artistic um, forms. And so we had a, a patient with AML, um, myeloblastic leukemia, who had been in the hospital for a while and was um, feeling better and getting close to getting out. Um, and his uh, he played semi-pro hockey prior to his diagnosis. He was about 23. Uh, and his hockey team had made him a video to kind of cheer him up while he was an inpatient. And so as he started feeling a little better, he thought he would make a video for his team. And so... Uh, John Blaylock, the artist in residence, said he'd help, and he got Mike Addy, the videographer, and some students from the UW who just volunteered, um, videography students, uh, came in on a Sunday, and uh, the patient had decided to to do a um, takeoff on the Kelly Clarkson video, Stronger, and so he filmed patients, and he filmed the medical team and the nurses dancing around, and it was a really fun day on the unit for everybody, and then uh, reportedly, uh, that night, he re-edited all the videos himself and hadn't really discussed it much in advance with the the uh, PR team what would happen next, but he went ahead and posted it online. And uh, the next day, <laughs> I, what I hear is the Seattle Children's 
you know, marketing PR department said, oh, my gosh, what is this? Can you take it back? Could take it offline? <laughs> and we, we haven't right. checked it. Take it down. And he proceeded to not answer his phone for the whole day, by which time it had nice. completely gone viral. And uh, and then he was famous and was on Good Morning America two days later. So That's, that was it was fun, fun for, for him. Uh, forgiveness and permission strategy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes. But what, one of my favorite... Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say one of my favorite parts of um, the the video. If you if you look online, there's a making of the video, um, and on there you can see this this young adult patient interacting not only with the other you know teens and young adults on the floor, but also the kids. And so I think it really speaks to the value of having you know patients that age around, um, whether it be in a designated. AYI unit, which is our, you know, our current focus, or even with younger patients, there are a lot of positive interactions that have come from from patients of of all different ages, really. Yeah, and and just to give our listeners some context, if you go to YouTube and search Seattle Children's plural Seattle Children's Stronger, the actual video itself is up to almost 3.7 million views. The making of has almost 200,000, and the making of the making of, which has 110,000. So you, I commend this guy for breaking rank and doing what felt right instead of doing what should have been right. <laughs> he was brave. Yeah. So let's get back to, to um, this this idea of how does Seattle Children's specifically differentiate itself as the place to go for young adults with cancer? So what we've really done over the past several years is to try to develop on-the-ground services that can be helpful on a day-to-day basis uh, to AYA patients. And, you know, seven years ago, it was kind of a a wide-open field of question marks. You know, how should we provide adequate patient education materials for young adults that address, you know, sexuality and when to get a tattoo and things that, you know, people in that age group might be interested in knowing during their cancer therapy. And so nothing like that existed actually at the time. Um, the Dana-Farber had a c- couple of patient handouts that they shared, and we modified those and, and also wrote about 10 new ones and then published those online, uh, again, with the goal of just sharing the information and not having every new center need to recreate the wheel. And so those are on our uh, Seattle Children's AYA website, as are the the links for our fertility preservation uh, videos and and also the topical videos, which are called Good Times and Bald Times, the series. Um, So we hoped that by creating those resources that, again, were really very novel um, at that time, that we could help patients here in Seattle and, and also everywhere. Um, Other things we've tried to do within the hospital are to create some uh, psychosocial programming for patients. So we have a a weekly pizza night for inpatients, and we have a child life specialist who can uh, actually flex his hours such that um, at least one night a week he can work in the evenings, which is a time that teens and young adults are much more likely to be awake and out and about and ready to engage in an activity compared to for example, the early morning. Um, so we have that, and, and he's also very good. Our child life specialist is good with, um, you know, setting up video game systems and, um, you know, having Wii games and, and tournaments and helping people bring in their Xboxes when they come in the hospital, um, all aimed at 
just making people as, as comfortable as possible while they're on the AYA unit. And then uh, we have physical therapists and our um, creative arts uh, people and um, even uh, nonprofit groups wanting to come in and um, do programming for our um, inpatients on the AYA unit um, just as a means to kind of get patients out of their palatial and very comfortable rooms and, and um, you know, doing something together and, and talking to each other. And um, that can be done either formally or informally. And by um, clustering patient beds together in one space, kind of the the word on the street from the nurses is that even if there's nothing official going on, that when it's, you know, one in the morning and people are kind of up and wandering about as patients that age tend to be, um, you know, they meet and they talk and, and that the kind of the vibe on the unit is, is quite different than uh, that on the, the younger kids' unit downstairs. Is there a what firewall, is- maybe for you and Rose, is there a firewall between, like, anyone over 50 and anyone under 50? Uh, under 15? 50. Five zero. Five zero. The, yeah. Well, we so we only have pediatric patients. Okay. Um, and and the the upper limit uh, we have here the the uh, AYA unit is part of the Children's Hospital and so our oldest patients are 29 at the time of diagnosis and we uh, okay. we have to get special permission for to care for patients over 21 but that's always granted by the hospital because they're wanting to serve this population. And isn't it also true that that technically for certain young adult patients the pediatric protocol is a better choice and that's not typically known well in adult oncology. That yeah, that's especially true for acute lymphoblastic leukemia, the most common type of uh, leukemia in um, in young adults. And and if uh, teens and young adults 16 to 21 are treated on a pediatric protocol, uh, their six-year event-free survival is over 25% better um, on a, a pediatric protocol compared to an adult protocol, so around about uh, 64% versus 38% uh, six-year event-free survival. So it's it's really quite a dramatic survival difference um, when a, a pediatric or pediatric-inspired type of, of treatment protocol is used. It's different medicines given, given in a different order, um, and uh, you know a longer duration of treatment, and plus they don't always go to in in on a pediatric protocol, patients don't need to have a bone marrow transplant in first remission, and so sometimes um, can get through therapy with a whole lot less uh, gonadotoxicity and later infertility. Right, and actually that was my segue. We got a few minutes left, and I really wanted to talk about the elephant room for most young adult cancer patients: is fertility, and what kind of standards do you have? for preservation or insurance coverage, or how is that unilaterally addressed across the board as policy at, at Self Children's? Mm-hmm. So fertility was one of the very first things we addressed when we were building our AYA program, and um, we did some initial market research within our own hospital and found out that we were actually doing a horrible job of offering um, sperm banking, for example, to um eligible, newly diagnosed adolescent young adult cancer patients. And, you know, that was not only our center, but it was um, many in the country oncologists had the viewpoint that, oh, this is expensive and can I, you know, offer a treatment 
that the patient might not be able to pay for out of pocket, and do I really have time because there's an urgency to start therapy, this kid is sick. Um, and so in, in 2006, um, the American Society of Clinical Oncology published guidelines that said that all new cancer patients should be offered fertility preservation at the time of their diagnosis and before starting therapy if that was at all medically feasible, um, and that that was a mandate to to do that for all patients. And so in compliance with that, um, in 2009, we developed a, a best practice system within our hospital for sperm banking in which we would um, always look at the pubertal status of newly diagnosed teen and young adult cancer patients. And as long as they were far enough along in puberty, uh, we would offer them all a visit to the sperm bank and just have that conversation with every single person. And we found very quickly a couple of things. First of all, that the the culture in the hospital changed from kind of thinking that that was a difficult and unpleasant conversation to have from a staff point of view. Um, but when we went out and, and sort of rolled out this new program and, you know, pointed out how important it was to, to get sperm banking done, you know, prior to the start of therapy um, because really – you can't do it in the middle of therapy and many patients are infertile by the end or perhaps relapse on therapy and need even more um, aggressive therapy and, and uh, so don't have a chance later on. Um, once they realized all the the sort of statistics surrounding that, they the staff really got behind the sperm banking effort and helped to identify new patients and kind of really got excited about taking care of our teens and young adults, which was great to see. Um, and the other thing that we noticed was when we as the staff got more comfortable having these discussions about sperm banking that the families also got much more comfortable too. And when it became kind of a non-issue and was normalized by saying, yeah, yeah, we do this with everyone, um, that that really made it easier for both the providers and the, the patients and the families. Um, and then it, back in 2009, uh, egg freezing was not even an option, but when that uh, became available through clinical trials. Um, we had worked in uh, in the sperm banking initiative uh, pretty hard to try to partner with uh, the different fertility clinics in the area. And so uh, Seattle Reproductive Medicine had a, an egg freezing uh, clinical trial that came up several years later. And uh, subsequently, we offered that to all uh, women who could wait a couple of weeks to start their cancer therapy. Uh, and, and now it's available uh, clinically, even off of a, a clinical trial, and so we we offer that too to um, again to all teen and young adult women who don't need to start therapy within days. That's really phenomenal. And again, like it, it's it's wonderful because I know you were part of the uh, NCCN guidelines. That would be the National Comprehensive Cancer Network has eight adolescent young adult oncology guidelines now. Uh, you're you're implementing them. You're doing it. It's it's one thing to say they exist, but it's another thing that you're actually doing them, and that's incredible and a testament to the hospital's philosophy about this age group. I just wanted to spend the next uh, couple of minutes, because we're just about out of time. Milton, you are now uh, pronounced cancer-free, is that correct? Yes, that is. <clears throat> How do you feel? Um, uh, day by day, I feel I'm coming back uh, to normal. You have cancer bodies at the hospital? Um, not in the hospital. Um, there, there's a few people I've met, um, uh, 
but no, not many. Just because um, the new the new section is so isolated, um, uh, patients don't really get to to uh, conversate as much. So me, I was more of a person that slept during the day and stayed up during the night. So I didn't really meet too many people. Well, by being on the show, you now have 170,000 friends. Because that's <laughs> Facebook level. Congratulations. Um, and we'd love to uh, organize maybe some social events out there by you guys and, and uh, do some maybe boot camps. Like we can talk offline about that to do some really cool things together and bring some stupid cancer vacation to uh, Seattle Children's. Not, not to mention, if you didn't know this, but apparently there's a stupid cancer pop-up store in your gift shop. That candy yep. has been selling supply chain there for months. <laughs> I don't think I knew that. Yeah, so you can you can actually do they have candy? Do, do they have flip out there yet? Uh, they do not have the plushie now. Okay, well, flip the cancer bird is our new plushie. Not name. sure if it's uh, in the guidelines. What? Well, it's just a book. <laughs> you can't really tell it until you really look closely at it. So it's it's actually we'll we'll see. We'll, we'll have to tread those lines carefully. Yeah. But I'm uh, I'm really really excited to get the you know you're very brave soul to come on the show. A lot of people find it intimidating, and I commend you for your strength and perseverance. And and again, being cancer free, I get it. Skeptical, I was the exact same way, and it is day by day, and it may always be day by day. But that's how you live your life, and it's really impressive to see you here and uh, kind of having the balls to be on the show. And I know you're not particular, so you have your balls, which is really good thing. <laughs> Okay, final thoughts. Um, Rose, how does it feel to be a young adult survivor running PR for an amazing hospital that focuses on young adults? Yeah, you know, it's absolutely amazing, and um, it's it's wonderful to be here. I, I do just, as, if you don't mind, as a final shout-out, you mentioned um, opportunities for social events in Seattle. Um, my group, Thrive Through Cancer, we are having an event on June 19th in Seattle for um, cancer survivors and supporters to get together. So um, if you're interested in that, go to thrivethroughcancer.org. And, um, and, yeah, and hopefully we'll be partnering with Stupid Cancer on lots of fun stuff in the future. And we, we, uh, we look forward to that. And having you guys down to CancerCon, maybe you guys want to have a booth at CancerCon in Denver next year and, and tout your wares and, again, like, kind of like uh, throw some shadow on all the other hospitals that are not as awesome as you guys for young adults. I love it. That sounds great. <laughs> yeah, I would love that, And too. final word, Becky, the, uh, the doctor in, in training who got cancer and went into young adult oncology. That is a very small club. How do you feel? I feel really honored to be here and to be able to serve this population and try to develop the programs that, might have helped me or people that were going through treatment when I was and um, weren't available at that time. So it's it's been a whole lot of fun to to do that. And, um, yeah, I just love this population. Awesome. Well, we've been speaking tonight with Rosa Barr, who's the PR specialist at Seattle Children's Research Institute, Dr. Becky Johnson, who is assistant professor of Hemonc and the medical director of AOA Oncology and also young adult survivor of Milton Wright III, all amazing young adult survivors running one of the greatest hospitals focused on young adult cancer. Really a privilege. You are a testament to progress, and I commend you guys for all you do. Thank you so much for joining us on the show tonight. Oh, yeah, thank you thank for you. Me. Thank you, Matthew. Thanks, everybody. All right, bye. 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 I got to say, like, it really is almost unbelievable that. There's real stuff today, 
And thinking back to, I mean, Jeff started in 2000. Heidi started in 98. Doug started in 97. Doug Ullman from Livestrong started in 97. The Young Survivor Coalition, 96. We've been fighting for so long, nearly 20 years. And finally, things are happening. Um, and before we go, I do want to give a uh, special um, uh, mention to uh, my friends out there that we paid tribute to Selma Schimmel, who passed away uh, from cancer a few weeks ago at ASCO. I did a bit of a clip. They ran their advocacy in action workshop with lots of people. Um, our Black Ops folks there said it was the most well-attended broadcast conference component of ASCO. And uh, really amazing spirit. She touched a lot of people. She helped give birth to us and this very show. Um, really, really sad that she's left uh, us for the uh, next stage of her life. So Selma Schimmel, rest in peace. We love you. Thank you so much for doing all you did for us. And uh, with that, it is now time for our closing sequence. Prepare to activate. Uh, I hear there's rumors on the uh, internets. You ever seen a grown man naked? And so, to all of you, a fond farewell. Hooray, I'm helping. You are a meathead. Oh, Magoo, you got it again. That was so terrible, I think you gave me cancer. Okay, folks, that's our show. Our 309th broadcast. You know what it is, Matthew? Yes, I do. We hope you had as much fun as we did talking to sick. That's stupid cancer. I'd like to thank our guests tonight, Jeff Eaton from Young Adult Cancer Canada and from Seattle Children's Hospital, Rosa Berra, Becky Johnson, and patient Milton Wright. Next week's show, a big one. We're going to be profiling ABC Family's new series, Chasing Life, which follows 20-something April, played by Italia Ricci. A smart, quick-witted, aspiring journalist diagnosed with cancer in the prime of her life. A groundbreaking show, to say the least, my friend. So join us as we welcome star Italia Ricci, hopefully live in studio, and the executive producers Susanna Fogel and Joni Lefkowitz with a Survivor Spotlight on Jill Brandenburg. Subscribe to our show anytime for free on iHeartRadio Talk, iTunes, Podcast, and Blog Talk Radio. Check us out anytime at stupidcancer.org and stupidcancershow.org. Remember, folks, if it ain't stupid, it ain't cancer. Live from the chemo deck, on behalf of Andy Goodman, Kenny King, Maureen Sweet, Mallory Rivera, and our whole team here at the Stupid Cancer Show, thanks for listening. We'll see you live next Monday. Good night. Good night, everybody. Stupid cancer, stupid cancer, stupid cancer.